The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Welcome to another episode of The Adventure Jogger. Jeff Stafford is on as well today. Hello, Jeff. How you doing, Ryan? Um, real quick, before we get started, what are you? What beverage are you enjoying? Well, the old standby white call black cherry. Yeah, Christina went shopping. She got you exactly your favorite flavor. I'm doing the natural line. By the way, uh, the Claw Mile Part 2 is coming soon um should be up in the next uh week or so maybe two so just stick around more details on um, it's it's like the beer mile only more difficult and far more refreshing would you agree with that yeah it's it's like comparing uh, vol state to hot you know that type of thing <laughs> <laughs> one's more similar. difficult or so they say now you're a vol stater you finished vol state was it two years ago 2019 correct okay and your time was 513 and change okay well the person we're talking to um did vol state and in the time they finished they could have got on a plane kind of blew it out of the water yeah they could they could have got on a plane got home went back to work no doubt it clocked in a couple hours and then gone to bed and they still would have finished got a massage don't forget the massage massage as well because listen to this everybody the vol state 500k if you're not familiar with it is a 500 kilometer 314 mile race essentially across the state of tennessee <laughs> the new course record has been set and this is the new crude and screwed record this is the top record period all time best. all time best ever three days four hours nine minutes 10 seconds to go 314 miles without a crew. Our guest on this episode of the Adventure Jogger, all hail the new king of the road, Bob Hearn. Yo, Bob. Hello, Bob. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jeff. Thank you. Um, First of all, I had to double check. You ran this without a crew? You did this all by yourself? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, maybe for the for the uneducated maybe give a quick breakdown of crude vice screwed so they know the difference so well crude is what it sounds like you can have a crew out there meet you every few miles with food water ice whatever um check you into hotels if you need to do everything for you to keep you going um and you know when you're running across the state of tennessee in july and it's 90s and super humid and uh you know blasting sun or thunderstorms or or whatever uh it's pretty nice to have that um i did that last year and i had a great race um and so i wanted to get the other experience this year which is now called screwed which basically means <laughs> no crew you're, you're totally self-supported um you typically carry a pack uh you carry your own water you got to kind of figure out whenever you hit a little town how much water should i get how far is it going to be till the next one are there going to be any road angels out there set up with coolers or not if i expect one and they're not there then i'm kind of screwed so there's a lot of ways you can get screwed as a screwed runner okay bob 
did you really just want to experience the other way? Or did you ask your crew again? And they said, no, I'm sorry. Three, Forget three it. days and change <laughs> last year was enough. I'm sorry. I'm Poor never Regina. doing this again. Poor Regina. <laughs> well, it turns out they were in Colorado this year. But no, I'd already decided I wanted to do it screwed. And it, some of it was... It's kind of complicated. Um, you know, last year, you know, this is it, Ball State is not just a race, you know, it's no, a yeah. journey. It's yeah. it's transformative for most people who do it. And for me, you know, I approached it as a race and um, I had an excellent race. I ran 10 hours faster than I planned. I ran three and a half days, uh, but I did not win. Francesca Muccini stayed mm-hmm. ahead of me and finished about an hour ahead of me. Um, you guys had her on last yep. year. That is the greatest multi-day performance that I have ever witnessed. And I was incredibly honored to be a part of that, to push her um, to, you know, just short of the breaking point. Yeah. And um, she, you know, the thing about Vol State is when you win Vol State, the the Tennessee State Legislature issues an official proclamation declaring you king of the road. (laughs) I wanted that, you know, and Francesca (laughs) got it. And she that's her second one. And so, you know, I wanted to come back and do that. And I also thought, well, you know, I might want to look at Greg Armstrong's course record, a three days, seven hours. And so I started mapping out what it would take to do that. But then, you know, a strange thing happened after the race last year. Um, I, I it, Over the next few days, I can only describe my mental state as kind of like an enlightenment experience right it was like the transformation that i had was after the race it didn't become apparent to me at first but my brain was working very differently i was like seeing i was like totally mindful of my thoughts and feelings and emotions and just super um i had this ability to just be super genuine and have all these insights that felt like they kept flooding in and it was the most amazing thing in the world it was really a spiritual effect and you know as as the race got closer this year i sort of thought well you know these records that's that's really all about ego but this race is so much more than that you know you don't ultimately you know i see ego in in races as it serves an end because it motivates you to do the training and do the racing, but right. the actual experience is really what it's all about. And I wanted to get more of that experience this year and get the full genuine experience. Most of the people who run Vol State do it screwed because yeah. they want that full experience of being self-reliant across Tennessee. It has more of an effect, more, it's more of a journey. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to write off this, um, this record attempt. I'm not going to go for that three days, seven hours because, um, I want to do it. I want to do it screwed and have the full thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear. I know exactly what you're talking about as far as that experience is concerned. When did it kick in for you, Jeff? Because when you finished Vol State, did you find that sense that Bob was talking about? I actually during it. I actually found mine. I think it was the last 24 hour period for me as I went five days and change. But that last 24 hour period it hit like a hammer and you're just like all these floods of emotions. And like you say, you feel real genuine about thing and people are so helpful. And then you just like, you see and feel and experience all these things that you typically, I don't want to say ignore. You just don't pay attention to. Yeah. You don't, you just don't see them. You're not aware of them. Yeah. 
Where do you think this hyper-awareness comes from? Now, I know none of us are certified to talk about this. Sleep deprivation. We got we got, it. We got two dudes on White yeah. Claw and a guy that just ran 314 miles in three days. Um, so we yeah. may not be the, the experts to talk about this. But, Bob, did you give any thought to where does that sense of clarity come from? What is causing that? Well, I, I should to back up. I should say I have done postdoctoral work in neuroscience, so I oh shit, I should I should have looked at your slightly qualified, but not. I really. should have stalked you um, more on Facebook. Okay, so you know, <laughs> scratch that. We've got Bob, who's somewhat of an expert. Um, he did some postgraduate work, so he's got some some knowledge in this game. Jeff and I know it's, nothing. It's Doctor Bob to you. Doctor Bob's going to handle this question. <laughs> uh, former pilot Jeff and radio DJ Ryan are going to step back and let Bob hit us with some serious science it's, here. I, I can only speculate, you know, I got to think it's the combination of the sleep deprivation and the extreme exertion and the sense of camaraderie. It's, um, you know, I've done a lot of meditating mm-hmm. um, the last few years. I tried, I tried to have a daily, daily meditation practice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's come up, for example, if you look at the research in psychedelics and the effects that happen, um, there's this thing in the brain called the default mode network mm-hmm. that's sort of sitting there kind of making sure things are running normally and not getting too out of hand and saying, you know, steering things the right way. Uh, it's, it's this, you know, network of brain regions that intercommunicate and communicate in a certain way and sort of manage the flow of information from sensory processes into consciousness. And what happens on psychedelics is that default mode network gets disrupted and you become more aware of it's like a filter is turned off and you're becoming more aware of all sorts of things that you're just normally not aware of because some part of your brain says that's not useful for our normal evolutionary goals in life but um i think it's the same sort of thing here is that that you know that default mode network basically you wear it out right because you're just you're exerting as much conscious control as you can over many, many days to stay in control. And you just, and, and there's, there's similar language if you read in Tibetan Buddhism mm-hmm. about um, what happens when you meditate is, is there's this notion of uh, a metaphor of the brain is like a wild horse that has to be tamed. Right. And um, it's the same, it's the same sort of thing. You, you can wear out the horse and when you wear out the horse, it's docile. That's a temporary thing. Or you can train the horse over years and years of meditation. But in a race like this, you wear out the horse and then it's docile and your mind is in a different state. I mean, I, that, that's sort of how I look at it, but I don't I don't really know. No, I think there's a lot to it. I think, Bob, I've, you know, we would have pulled an answer out of our ass. That sounds like a really credible answer. And I think there's a there's a lot to that. And I wonder, too, because a big part of all state from what the people I've interviewed is you're plugging out of life, right? So you're, you're unplugging from social media, you're unplugging from your job, you're unplugging from your relationships, you're unplugging from your responsibilities. You have a single purpose and that single purpose is getting from the start line to the finish line. And so, and you don't know. And I think a lot of people live their lives, Bob, planning everything out. They know how their day is going to look. And I think a lot of people, Mm -hmm. the stress in their life is caused when life does not match the plan that they have for life. So they expect their day to be uh, pretty smooth and easy and then something comes up and all of a sudden, boom, they're, they're, they're upset because the universe is not molding to their plan for what's going to happen. But in Vol State... 
there is none of that. You can't, you don't know what the next hour, what the next 10 minutes, what the next five minutes is is really going to hold. And you get into this moment by moment existence with nothing else to distract you from the moment to moment existence. And you step Mm -hmm. out of your thoughts of the past, your thoughts of the future, and you are stuck in the reality of the now for however long it takes. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Dr. Pluckelman. Yes. Yes. No, living in the now and being in being fully present, that is that is such a huge thing. Yeah. And that's what you get here. I mean, all you have to con- if you're screwed in particular, I mean, you concentrate on navigation, hydration, nutrition and a wee bit of sleep. I mean, that's, yep. that's, was there a moment, though? And, and Jeff, you can you can you can talk to this. Was there a moment when your brain, your thoughts just stopped? Like you, you didn't oh, have like the constant, well, I need this, I need that, so you got to do this, got to do that. What I would do, and Bob, you probably find yourself doing it too. You'd look, you'd look at, uh, I'd have my phone on airplane. I'd turn it on, see where I'm at yep. to see where I got to go. And if it was a 20 mile stretch of road, I knew I could just zone out for the next X number of hours and not even have to, not even have to look at that phone just, and it just, that 20 miles or 30 miles, it just, it just becomes a blur. You're like, what, yeah, what I'm not there? so good at that. I'm the kind of guy who plans everything and I'm always checking my Garmin, checking that I'm on pace, checking this kind. This time I had a Phoenix with mapping. So right. checking that I'm not missing a turn. Um, I'm, I'm not quite as good about that kind of zoning yet. I probably did, you know, but I wasn't aware of it. So all of this, this, this talk of, 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 of another plane of existence, we'll go back yeah. to the real plane of existence, which is Vol State and in your performance this year. Bob, how did, what lessons did you learn from last year when you were you know, 10 hours behind Francesca, who had the, just this incredible finish? What did you take away from last year's performance of second place and go like, okay, here's what I need to do if I'm going to come back? Yeah. Oh, I was an hour behind. Oh, sorry. I'm an um, hour behind. <laughs> yeah. Um, start faster for one thing. That's, <laughs> you know, I always tell people I can count on zero fingers the times that I finish a race and say, gee, I wish I'd started faster. Well, now it's one finger after all state <laughs> last yeah. year because I, so, you know, last year I, I wasn't even going to run Vol state. I was going to run six days in the dome um, and it was canceled. And that is um, indoor, 55 degrees, totally mm-hmm. flat, exactly the opposite of Vol State. And so I was not, I was not at all prepared. Yeah. So I came in being a little bit conservative, thinking, you know, I think I should be able to run under four days. Maybe, you know, the over 50 course record is three days, um, 22 hours. So, you know, I mapped out a plan for three days, 20 hours, and I didn't sweat the fact that that Francesca was out ahead of me because I knew I was a faster runner than her and she's going to have to sleep at some point. And if I run, you know, no woman had ever run under four days. Yeah. Right. And if I was going to run three days, 20 hours, um, I thought I was going to be safe because I didn't see after the first day, there was no other competition in the race besides Francesca. So I wasn't that worried. Yeah. Um, Turns out, you know, I ran 10 hours faster than my goal and I realized I started, you know, too conservatively for my capabilities. That's the first thing is start a little faster. Um, I learned all the mechanics 
um, from my crew, Regina and Bill, of, you know, they said, well, you know, the thing to do is stop in a hotel in the afternoon for three, four hours in the worst heat of the day, get your sleep in there, you know, treat your feet, shower, wash your clothes, all that stuff, which they did all that stuff for me. Um, but it was clear that, you know, they're very experienced because Regina has run under five days herself. Yeah. And I watched, I watched what they were doing and I learned a lot and I tried to copy that this year. You know, I had to do it myself, but, um, I learned all the good all the good patterns to do from them, and I decided also I'm I'm just not going to be so regimented. I mean, of course I'm going in screwed, right? I'm just going to go out a little bit faster but comfortable. And if I see that, well, you know, I'm going out faster than I did last year, and I ran three days, twelve hours. The other thing is, you know, even though I came in trying to not have any ego, um, my brain you know, it solves puzzles, it plans splits and things. That's, that's my strength yeah, in yeah. this kind of race. And there's no way I could ignore the fact that, you know, Greg Armstrong's screwed record was three days, 14 hours, right. two hours slower than I ran last year. Obviously I'm going to have a lot of overhead from having no crew, yeah. but you know, it looked like it was going to be cooler this year than last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, if I can be a little bit faster start than last year and just keep it under control, then, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I should say Greg was also in this race at the start. Um, he was in the race earlier um, and then he withdrew because he had a trip to um, Africa and that got canceled. So he jumped back in a couple of weeks ago and he was also running screwed. And so um, that was very intimidating to me racing Greg, but I was actually really looking forward to it. Right. So um, I figured that's going to play on the second half of the race. I was just going to run under control a little faster than last year start of the race um which i did mm-hmm. and it just um <laughs> it it never got that much harder it's, it's funny you mentioned <laughs> that I, I can't i mean when I, i've only ran it the one time but take the ferry over to Dorena landing wait around light the circuit get back on the ferry and the race starts so on the ferry I was listening to a couple of people I knew that had run the race numerous, numerous times. And the overwhelming consensus was make your money on day one. Get as far as you can. Just push it. And, and, and that's, that's what I did when I ran it. And it, it, yep. it paid dividends. Well, that's, that's the common wisdom. But, you know, last year I ran a negative split over the course. And I ran the, the third fastest time ever apart from – Francesca only right. only Greg and Joe's yeah. previous times were faster than what I ran so um, I'm not saying negative splits are the best way to do it I didn't I wasn't negative this year but I'm always somebody who likes to start slower and stay under control before we get into this performance and breaking down this performance Bob kind of give us a little bit of of Bob Hearn's running story because you know we all come across this in our in our own way what's the background yeah. right what's what's the Bob Hearn ultra marathon story well it depends on how much detail you want you know um, people always yeah. go like I'll give you the short version I'm like we got to fill an hour plus so don't give yeah, us the okay. short version okay, Bob. Well, okay so I started running in uh 2004 I was mm-hmm. 38 so I started a little bit later in life I quickly um, just got sucked into this marathon maniacs club yeah where you run lots and lots and lots of marathons and so it's, for me marathons where it was at I was bad to run Boston every year and met tons of great friends in the maniacs um, but eventually I started moving into ultras I did my first I did a White River 50 trail ultra in 2008 and more and more, I started doing ultras. I did a couple of Western states. That was awesome. 
but eventually I realized that I'm better at the long road stuff. I was inspired by a friend of mine who had been on the 2010 um, 24-hour team. Yeah. And I didn't move up to 24-hour until um, end of 2014, but I had a great race. Um, blew away the course record, you know, got entered into desert solstice the next year. And from that point on, starting 2015, I sort of realized, oh, this is my strength is this really long, flat stuff. I can use sort of my, you know, my mathy mental skills. It's not all the other variables are taken out of it, you know, of elevation and trails and, and you know, I was an okay trail runner. I was never a great trail runner, but put me on some place where it's it's flat loops and it's all about doing the analysis and keeping things steady and even. Um, then I'm I'm good. Um, I can stay focused for longer than a lot of other people. I can I can keep under control and not get swept away by people going out too fast at the start. A um, couple other strengths are um, I went keto back in 2014. So I can burn a lot of body fat. And if I don't, you know, these long flat races, you don't ever have any big need for energy bursts, you know, like going up hills in Western states. You can keep it at a level where you're consistently burning lots of body fat. um, So you don't need to eat as much. And, you know, there's less GI stress. Um, Another thing is when I started doing six day races, um, well, I did a bunch of 24s and gradually I moved up to multi-day and realized, okay, I'm, I'm good at 48 and I'm going to try six day uh, for six day. You know, I was doing the analysis and I realized that, you know, if I can make my walk faster, that's going to make a huge difference to my total. So I started training my walk, training a fast walk on treadmills. And that turned out to be a huge win because I do, I do a run walk last year. I, I probably walked half of all state. And yep. still ran three days, 12 yep. hours. And, you know, you look at Greg, he pretty much run every step and then take take breaks. So what is your walk? Like, what did you train your walk to be? You know, how, how many miles? What minute miles are you walking? When I'm actually walking during a race, it's not that fast. You know, 14 yeah. ish minute miles. Maybe. Which is still um, I mean, 14 minute miles walking is yeah. still and that's four miles an hour plus that you're walking. Yeah which is an right. incredible advantage for this race. Right. And that's, that's my chance to recharge. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So those are, those are some strengths. And then, you know, the last five years I've, I've, you know, focused on these fixed time races, 24, 48, six day. And um, now that I'm over 50 and now I just, I'm over 55, you know, I, I tend to focus on the age group, age group records and um, be very analytical about that. Um, and this, the, the, these multi-day races are a niche within a niche. I mean, this is, you, know, you got your ultra running and, and a lot of that is trail running. But I mean, the people you see at these multi-days, this is a real niche within a niche. I mean, you, you probably, you, you meet half these guys, you probably you guys all know each other because it's just such yeah. a tight yeah, community yeah. Of, of, these, of these folks that love these multi-days. Yeah. It is, but you know, the history is very rich. You know, back in the late 19th century, the most popular foot races were six-day races. Which is they crazy were, they were, about. Yeah. They were like um, NASCAR. You know, you would have six-day races in Madison Square Garden. There would be huge purses and scandals and bribery. Oh, and sure. Sabotaging your opponents and all this stuff. And... Um, yeah, the multi days. There's there's a long tradition. You can look back, go back, look back in the 80s and 90s. There's there's lots and lots of 
it's only really since then that that um, American Ultra has moved more towards trail. So a lot of the guys that I know from multi-day, they go way back and they have all these yeah. wonderful stories. And yeah. By the way, Davy Crockett does a great podcast yes. on the history of Absolutely. ultra running. And he yeah. like, no, seriously, folks, this is something you're going to want to download. Um, it's not stupidness like the adventure jogger. It's it, it breaks down. Like the, the, I listened to the history of Western States on our air, our, our uh, airplane ride back yep. to Tennessee. It was fantastic. But he's got a whole series on multi-days and the, the late 1800s and all that stuff. So check out Davey Crockett's The History of Ultra Running podcast. It's, it's really, really good stuff. Um, yep. so, so yeah, so you figure out you're good at this stuff. Like you may not be the fastest trail runner, but all of a sudden your strengths lie in flat timed events when does Vol State get into your radar? Well, I don't remember when I first became aware of it, but, um, you know, my parents live in Nashville and, you know, I was aware, you know, it'd be nice to go out, you know, sometime for the summer, hang out with my parents and run across Tennessee if I could yeah. find some time to do that. And I saw a lot of my friends doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it never quite, you know, I always wanted to do a Laz race because um, all of them are so cool and, and, uh, distinct and you know mad genius behind them but uh, so much of the time you know my priorities are are driven well my biggest priority the last several years has been to make the national 24-hour team and everything kind of took a backseat to that and second to that would be spartathlon this race in greece that is my absolute favorite race and those two things conspired to where you know things like vol state they just never got a chance um and it wasn't until it just you know, the six day race got canceled last year. That's like, ah, okay, now I can go do a Laz race and Vol State. And wouldn't that be awesome? So you, you, you figure it out. You, you, you discover this crazy little cult race that has now become huge, by the way. It's interesting to see how yeah. Vol State has yeah. gone from. I remember when I first interviewed Laz, oh boy, four years ago, four, four or five years, years ago. Yeah. And Vol State had openings up until the race day like it didn't sell out maybe it would because the last week somebody would sign up and now vol states become so popular that it's secret when it opens you got to get right on it there's only so many slots and all of a sudden people are, are are going crazy and trying to figure out when this day when it when the registration happens so it's gotten much bigger you you figure Mm -hmm. this out you do that first year let's go to this year now this is the year where you're deciding, okay, I had a crew last time. Now I'm going screwed. This is going to be my own little game. Let's break down this incredible Vol State performance. Again, just let this sink in, everybody. 314 miles in three days, four hours, nine minutes, 10 seconds. That's basically you're banging out 100 miles in 24 hours, three days in a row, Every and then day. you're knocking out 14 miles for the finish absolutely incredible bob take us from the cigarette on <laughs> okay um cigarette on yeah so laz lights the cigarette and we we hop on the ferry and Dorina landing and go back to uh hickman and start running and um up at the front is Greg, of course, mm-hmm. running shirtless, and um, <laughs> which is it? Which the tannest man in the south? Yeah. Yes, the tannest oh, man yeah. in the south, yeah. and he works out. So it's not like yeah. he's a typical shirtless man in Tennessee. Beer gut and pasty <laughs> white. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 
Now, I will say when when I saw Greg at the uh, the so-called Last Supper the night before the race, yeah, uh, I was I was shocked because he looked so much leaner than the last time I'd seen him. He's last time I raced him was 2018 Desert Solstice, yeah. and he beat me by one mile, and he looked you know really like a muscle man at that point yeah but now it looked he looked like he looked super lean and super fit like he was ready to go out there and destroy it um so i was really intimidated <laughs> so greg's out in front um and then there's a little group of us up front bev and alan abs mm-hmm. um a couple of people who were not really in anybody's radar uh the floris daniel and ariella flory yeah, yeah. and uh becca joiner was up front and um yeah, that might have been a little pack of us, but um, I tended to drift back. Nobody wanted to pass Greg, and I was just I was just running my own pace, um, which was a little faster than last year, but still slower than mm-hmm. than all the other leaders. So they gradually drifted away in front of me, and okay, well that's that. Um, day wore on. It was a little cooler than last year. Um, eventually, I caught up to the abs who had run out of water somewhere i don't know 30 miles in maybe yeah um yeah coming coming into martin around about martin mile 30 started to get really hot and um martin to dresden mile 40 was when uh, i was feeling the heat the most the, the first day and a little bit regretting starting even as fast as i had even though it was i thought very controlled yeah and then i was shocked coming into dresden to pass greg because what the hell um he was not having a good day and you know he told me before he before he jumped back in he says i don't have the miles on my legs this year but i feel strong yeah so i'm going to jump in and see what happens and i guess now he's decided well he needs those miles on his legs but um so i passed greg and i came into dresden and i was really really hot out of water and really looking forward to the dresden farmers market i was actually planning to lie down for a couple hours there because um, that's, you know, I'm going to stick to my going down for two, three hours every day in the heat of the day. Even the first day, I was going to stop for a bit, see how I felt, um, depending on how cool it was. But it was hot. So I was going to stop there. Well, I missed the farmer's market somehow. Oh, geez. Yeah, was, yeah. So I'm leaving Dresden totally dry with water and it's super hot. It's another eight miles to Gleason. So I just, you know, I see some woman in her front yard and yell out, please, can you help me? I need some water. And so she, she fills my bottles <laughs> from the kidding. hose in her backyard and sprays me down. And um, that, you know, that was the first time somebody saved my race. Um, can I stop you there real, yeah. real quick? That's yeah, yeah. that's one of the problems with the the lead pack, if you will, at Ball State is you're out running a lot of the road angels they're not set up they're not prepared yes. you, you don't yes. know where they're at this year and, and i right. can't tell you i mean I, I i came in in seventh overall the year i ran it but people were putting these posts about all these road angels i'm like i didn't see squat yep nothing yep that that was the problem <laughs> <laughs> go ahead so you, yeah. you're moving on yeah so i'm moving on um oh and then i'm surprised because right when i'm going to this woman's backyard i see um Andy Pearson passed me and I thought, whoa, what happened? I thought I just passed Greg. Surely I'm in the lead. Where where, where did Andy come from? Okay, so Andy is now in the lead. Um, We get into Gleason. Andy is a couple minutes ahead of me. Gleason Fire Department is the most amazing place on the course. They've converted the fire department into this huge aid station. You name it, they've got it. 
Andy's lying there with his feet up on a chair and a fan blowing on him. And um, I pull up a huge air mattress and lie on it and cool down and um, lie down, set my alarm for an hour and just zone out. And as I do, as I'm lying down, everything is cramping. My legs are cramping. My gut's cramping. And um, so I got a little overcooked. I wasn't really that worried because I feel like, okay, so I pushed it a little bit, you know, too far, but I got this planned downtime here. I'm going to get my body back into some sort of homeostasis and I'll be good after this. And so I was in second when I came into Gleason and then I left an hour and a half later and I could see the sign in list. There was like eight people who'd left ahead of me. Um, People had come in and gone. Um, And this was good strategy on my part, I think, because everybody was kind of feeling it by this point. And I'm the only one who really took the time to fully cool off. You know, the the abses came and went. And at the end of the race, Bev told me, you know, when I saw you in Gleason, I kind of thought, kind of thought you were done, you know. Right. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but, um, I left Gleason feeling pretty good and gradually started catching people after that. I caught Bev um, and then let's see so the first evening was interesting because we had this massive thunderstorm um just totally enormous running down the street there's continuous lightning in every direction sheet lightning fork lightning um i was keeping a careful you know paying attention to see if there's anything close by right and there was never you know you time the flashes and the booms and there's never anything that's that seemed close so i wasn't really that worried now something worse did strike close by um, it's not like I could just immediately find shelter. No, right. But um, so a lot of people preemptively took shelter. Um, I think maybe I saw Andy Pearson hiding under a church. I'm not sure. I went by and I saw somebody under a church with a headlamp. I can only yeah. assume it was him because it was only him and Becca Joyner ahead of me at that point. And she had a crew. So mm-hmm. presumably she'd be in her crew van. Um, so ran through that for a couple hours, pulled up my poncho, talked on the phone with my wife for a while and just having a great time. Um because last year, my, my best part of the race last year was a thunderstorm uh, on the final morning. Yeah. And that was when I could finally crank. And I realized, oh, I can just run and run and run and run. And I feel awesome. And I'm, my, I'm getting all this cooling and I'm making up all this time. And so I was not about to sacrifice that this year. Um, so, um, yeah, then it got dark. Then uh, I saw Greg again because Greg had passed mm-hmm. me uh, in uh, – where did I see him? Clarksburg or somewhere um, like that. And uh, again, I needed water. And I was like, ah, I wish I knew where some water was. And so right over there, there's a cooler there. And so I just <laughs> blasted by this cooler and got some more water. But um, yeah, Greg was not feeling it. And I didn't see him again after that. Um, I was just by myself for the night. Night is is a tricky thing. My, my biggest weakness in multi-day races is sleep deprivation. Um, I'm just, uh, maybe it's just a... Uh, false belief that I have that I'm not good at it. Um, last year, certainly I needed a fair amount of downtime at night. Some, some of that may be, you know, I had a crew van. It's very tempting to just say, sure. please stop. I want to lie down in this right. air conditioning. Yeah. Right? Well, I didn't have that this year. I didn't have that, that luxury. Um, so I just kept running. Um, I did like when I was getting close to Lexington, I lay down on a bench in front of a convenience store for half an hour, set my alarm and got recharged. Um, Made it through Lexington, miles 92, and was cranking along, I guess, Highway 412 um, out towards Parsons. And even though I'd had a half hour nap, I was really sleepy. Um, so I started just, you know, yelling things at the top of my voice, anything that came to mind, singing, <laughs> slapping myself, yelling some um, 
loving kindness meditations out loud because I knew all I had to do was last until the first hint of dawn on the horizon. And then, and then bing, my brain, yeah. my brain yeah. would, yeah, it's magic. And so I, I pushed through that and dawn came and bing, I was good after that. <laughs> I just think this, it's so great that here, here you are running through rural Tennessee and you are in the middle of a road somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you are just shouting yeah. random things at yep. the top of your lungs. This is why people get pulled over by the cops <laughs> on the Vol State course all the time. And people confuse Vol State runners with escapees from the mental yes. institution. Vagrants. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. I'm not the only one who does this. We've, there's been a great thread on Facebook on the last couple days. Yeah, Jeff. Have you done that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, 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 yeah, you yeah. shout things? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Bev Anderson was posting about how no, I was running through the night yelling, don't ask. And I heard this deer making <laughs> oh, strange the deer. noises. Yeah, that was- <laughs> and then, yeah. And, you know, Kim Durst jumped in and said, yep, yep. I slap myself and shout and yell and all this stuff. So people do that. Yep. It helps. What was the loving yeah. kindness meditation that you shouted? Because everyone's going to want to know now. Um, it's one from a Jack Cornfield audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can repeat it if you like, please do <laughs> it's okay. So it's, um, you either do it for yourself or for another person. And yeah. it's, um, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well in body and mind. Um, may you be free from, um, <laughs> why am I blanking now? Um, Anyway, just picture everybody, yeah, yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob yelling in the streets of or, yeah. Yeah, the roads of rural Tennessee. <laughs> May you be full of loving kindness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And Billy Bob's on the front porch going, oh, what? boy, we got, we got a live one here. <laughs> How many miles yeah. did you crank out the first full day, Bob? Uh, 109. 109 miles. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Dave- and then I and the thing is, you know, I'd had that half hour nap in Lexington and I'm trying to figure out, I wonder how many people passed me. Right. You know? And so the thing about Vol State is you check in every, every online every 12 hours and then you see the standings. See right. yeah. is. And I looked at the standings and I'm at 109 and the nearest people behind me are at 97. So I'm like, well, OK, I guess this <laughs> it's not totally over. But, you know, unless I blow up this, this at least the king of the road is, is mine. Well, you didn't see it much or experience it much. But sometimes, you know, you check the standings, your, your typical middle of the packer. And you're like, how how did eight people get ahead of me or how did I get ahead of eight people? You know, it's like <laughs> yes. I, I didn't see anybody, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is the, the, the mental piece of the days changing over? So now all of a sudden you started a day ago, all, you're, you're approaching yep. day two begins. What is it like yep. when you go from day one to day two? Well, in this case, I was trying to figure out where I was going to stop because I knew I wanted to stop for like three hours, mm-hmm. ideally in the heat of the day. But I also knew that I didn't just want to stop. I wanted a hotel because I wanted to shower and get clean and treat my feet and lie in a real bed. And you're constrained by what's on the course. And uh, really, the only thing that worked was Linden. I might have tried to push it to Hohenwald. That would have been late. But I thought, you know, so I made the call to Linden. I had to call and ask them to let me in for a very early check-in because it was going to be like 11 in the morning, um, which they did. And after that, then my mental state is I'm looking forward to getting to Linden um, because I know I'm going to have this break. So that's my next my next target. And I'm not intimidated by the full day that's ahead of me. 
So you get to Linden, you get a little break in, you get to yep. take a mm-hmm. shower and clean things up. Yep. And mm-hmm. in that, that time, the, 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 your alarm goes off on your phone and all of a sudden yep. it's, it's back to the reality of all states. Yep. That point on, are you feeling pretty good at this point or are you starting yeah. to, to, to fade a little bit? I was feeling great really, because I was still not pushing it. I was under control. I was really riding that space between just keeping my body where it's performing sustainably well, but not pushing it too hard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to push it too hard because I was already way ahead of everybody else. And I was way ahead of where I was last year, which meant that was very promising for beating the screwed record. And so I was, you know, pretty high on life at that point. And that's pushing me through. Yeah, it's amazing what three hours of sleep will do. You're like completely recharged. Yeah. Get up and you just get going. So day two, moving along, doing really well, looking at the records. How does the day progress for you? Does it continue to move well? Or is there any parts where you're like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. Why did I sign up for this? Yeah. Yes. Well, I never got that. You know, Laz swore to me the first time I signed up, he said, you will definitely regret it somewhere along the course. (laughs) I never never did. But... um, (laughs) The thing, the thing about leaving Linden is you got to go to Hohenwald, and there's this really long, gradual climb yep. up to Hohenwald. It's, Laz calls it 16-mile hill. To me, I've mapped it out on GPS, and it looks like it's 11. But anyway, it's this long, interminable, just straight, gradual uphill. Um, when I started going up, but the thunderstorms came back, pulled up my poncho, and I was – it was not as intense as the night before, so I was loving it. Um, but then that faded, and then the sun came out. The sun was at my back all the way up the hill, and that got pretty old pretty quick. Um, I stopped at the first uh, established road angel, which is getting close to Hohenwald, mm-hmm. and I didn't think they were going to be set up, but I saw, oh, there's a setup over there. Right. I went, I signed the logbook, and I opened the cooler, and the cooler's empty. <laughs> okay, they're, they're, they're set up, but they didn't, you know, bother to stock it because you know nobody's going to be there that early. Um, Wrong. So, it's, oh well, it's Bob Hearn's going to be there early. No one, no one could possibly be here that early. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, you know, I was I was okay on fluids. I wasn't I wasn't hurting. Made it to Hohenwald, and by that point, I'm starting to do the math about what my 12-hour split is going to be, and I realize. Um, you know, so I had three hour, a three hour down block, but I can still, you know, if I push it a little bit through Hohenwald, I can come in at 150 miles, get four, it's 41. And I'm thinking if I can run 150, if I can split 150 miles, first of all, that's a little bit of an exclamation point in the standings yeah, for right. anybody who's behind me. Um, second of all, if I can run another 50 miles through the night, um, that would get me to Lewisburg. I could spend three hours in Lewisburg and I can legitimately look at the overall course record, three days, seven hours, which I had never considered coming into this race. If I was going to look at that, I would have, I would have run screwed. So I was in a little bit of disbelief that I was where I was feeling good, but I got a little, you know, a little greedy. Um, as my wife told me later on the phone that night, you know, the, you're, you're here to win, you know, stop thinking about the overall course record. Right. Screwed. Let's, yeah. get, Let's get the win first. So, yeah. So I, I wanted, you know, for quite, you know, not quite great emotional reasons to hit that 150. And so I pushed it a little bit because my legs were tired mm-hmm. um, from climbing into Hohenwald. I pushed it a little bit more than I should have um, going through Hohenwald and starting that long descent into Hampshire. And um, I got my 150. It was bang on that. So yeah. that was great. And I'm, I'm high on life still. And then as I start descending into Hampshire, 
I realized, well, for one thing, you know, boy, that um, Road Angel station really better be there in Hampshire yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's the longest stretch. If you got to go from Hohenwald to Columbia, it's like 28 miles. Um, and I was carrying extra water, but not enough water for that. So I was really sort of assuming that I was going to get that Road Angel in Hampshire. So I started to get nervous about that. And then I realized when there's these really, really long um, descents and a few climbs between Hohenwald and Hampshire. And my quads were really starting to feel it. And I don't remember feeling that here last year. Yeah. But by the time I got into Hampshire, my I felt honestly like my quads were shot. Um, now, I was happy because the Road Angel station was there. Um, I got all the water and Gatorade that I wanted. There were people there handing me snacks. So that was great. But then as I left Hampshire to Columbia, it's like I couldn't run. Um, Really? You know, the, the downhills were too painful. The uphills I would be walking anyway. And the flats, I was still just walking slowly. And I'm thinking, well, that sucks. I got greedy and uh, hubris caught up to me and I blew out my quads and there, you know, there goes my race. Um, and so I just walked and walked and walked for a while trying to debate whether I should like try to find a place to huddle by the side of the road and see if I could get some recovery. But there really wasn't anywhere yeah. yep. or just walk, walk slowly to Columbia, stay in a hotel for a couple hours and see what happened. Try to mask it with Advil and see what happens. But that didn't seem like a really promising idea. Um, but in the end, that's what I did is I took some Advil and gradually I was able to start running again. I didn't know what was going to happen after that, but um and at that, this point, I'd given up any hope of getting my 15 miles that second night because yeah. I just had so, had so much walking. I just see where I was and play it by ear. But somehow, um, you know, I got through Columbia. Um, I got to the Nut House, the most famous Road Angel station. Yep. And um, again, um, they're all set up. I signed the logbook and I opened the cooler and it's empty. <laughs> 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 yeah. Fortunately, I, again, I didn't really desperately need water. And again, that was the hardest part of the night coming into there where I'm shouting all sorts of things and singing just utter nonsense to stay awake and push myself. Second night, I didn't break at all. Um, I'm not quite sure why. I think because at that point, yeah, maybe that's why I was able to get those 50 miles at that point. Yeah. Okay. Just so people know, Bob, Bob, a little more. What's the song you're shouting? What's on Bob's playlist? You want to know? Yeah. I was coming into Kulioka is this town that is there like next to the nut house. Yeah. And I was going Kulioka, Kulioka, <laughs> That's about the, the limit of my- You get a little um, mantra going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So nothing too, too wonderful there. Um, yes, yeah, so the second night, no naps. And I was really astounded that I was able to push through. Um, I get past Kulioka heading towards Lewisburg and then the dawn, you know, sky begins to light and then I'm awake and I'm like, damn, I just made it through this night with zero breaks. Yeah. And the night before only a half hour and I feel good. And I was just, I was really psyched at that point. Um, I pushed through to Lewisburg uh, for the 7:30 check-in and I was going to be at 201 miles. Um, and then I called the uh, hotel that's in Lewisburg, uh, Celebration Inn. It's the only yeah. one that's on the course in Lewisburg. A fine to get establishment. Because that's where we'd stayed last year. And uh, they had some convention there and they were full. And I'm like, uh. Uh, but, 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 but I need my three-hour break. That's, I just pushed all through the night and I need my three-hour break. Um, and I was just kind of at a loss for a while i thought what you know i looked at the other hotels the nearest one was 0.8 miles off the course which you can't 
you you can't even you know try to optimize that. If you leave the right. course, you have to come back right where you left it. Right. You know, that, yeah. I was not. I was not going to take that hit. I, I called a 24-hour gym, see if maybe I could just take a shower there, and then I'd find some place by the side of the road. But then I decided, no, I'm just going to have to push on through. And, and Bob's the like, is, I'm doomed. Yeah. <laughs> well, the problem is the next opportunity for a hotel is in Shelbyville. It's another 22 miles. And everybody says, don't stop in Shelbyville. The hotels yes. are really kind of scary and bad. And um but that's where I was. And I was coming through Lewisburg. I, 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 I realized as I was coming through Lewisburg and I, and I was not able to stop, you know, I feel great. My body is fine. I'm energized by the morning. Um, I love where I am in the race. Everybody else is just infinitely far behind me at this point. Um, I'm feeling great. And not only that, you know, I'm 113 miles from the finish. And what if I just say, screw it and just push through and see, see what I can do. 113 miles in 24 hours. This should, if I don't stop, that's no big deal. And that's something that, you know, Greg and Joe Fegis and I have talked about a lot is, is it theoretically possible to do Vol State in under three days? And I wasn't going to do that, but right. here I was, you know, well, maybe, maybe now is my time to go for it and see what happens. Um, but I figured, you know, I'll get to Shelbyville and see how I feel in Shelbyville. And, um, by the time I got to Shelbyville, I was toast because the sun came out and the wheel to Shelbyville was brutal. There's very little aid through yeah. there. A um, couple of road angels saved me, or I don't know if I ever would have made it, but it just seemed interminable. And so I got to Shelbyville and um, got myself a room, the Magnolia Inn, which is highly disrecommended. <laughs> but, um, well, give us a, me- describe us the for us the, the Magnolia Inn so everybody knows just how crazy and, and unrecommended well, as is i i would it's just a random motel by the side of the road i would not have known except everybody said don't stop in shelbyville and there's all these stories about the magnolia and like i th- i guess the most famous story is you know karen and bo um karen jackson and um bo millwood are yeah. two sort of iconic runners at ball state and one time they came they they showed up there wanting a room and and the guy behind the desk said, sorry, you're too dirty. You're, you're kind of sleep down by the river. So they, they, they wouldn't give him the room. But, um, the unclean, yeah, you're kind sleep which, down by the river. Know, but I don't know. It was, it was the option that I had. And they gave me a room. They gave me a non-smoking room. And I had, it had a shower and it had a bed. And it wasn't, you know, it was reasonably clean. So, okay. Now, I have to say, several days later, I think maybe I got some bed bugs there. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But, um, don't, don't look around too much there. Just Yeah, yeah. Take your shower, but, you lay know, down. I, I did my, you know, I got my routine. I had my really good three-hour routine. There's an hour. You stop at a hotel, and if you do everything you need to do yeah. to get clean and treat your feet and swap things out, there's like an hour overhead. So, you know, I dressed down, started washing my clothes, you know, got two hours in bed, got up and got geared up again and out. And it's three hours. And it was, yeah. it was, you know, a track meet. It was, it was well executed. Um, so then I was back in the game and I was sad to see that the sun was still out and it was still pretty hot, <laughs> but it wasn't uh, the middle of the day anymore. The sun was at my back. Um, and I, I loaded up with tons of water and headed off to war trace. And um, it's a little hot to war trace, but not too bad. And so I was feeling pretty good. Um, and War Trace to Manchester is a nice stretch. Um, it's really beautiful countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the right time of day to do it, late afternoon, evening. Yeah. It's very, just very pleasant, um, easy miles, cranking them out. Um, 
yeah, I come into Manchester. I don't remember when my uh, when the uh, evening check in was, but it was um, another. Uh, let's see, I'd stop. So it's forty one miles, I think. So I must have been at like two hundred forty two miles. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so things were still moving smoothly, and it was just a matter of getting through that last night. At that point, you get through that last night. You're probably shouting other things some more loving meditation you're shouting some more songs that you're making up in your head about the cities that are ahead of you and then that third day club comes to a close and you realize oh my god the finish line i gotta get up that mountain this is like it's there like this is this is gonna did you know at that point at the end of day three oh my god i can take this entire course record screwed and crude yeah, but really, you know, I'm I'm skipping over the most important part of the race. That that last night was really, uh, I lived more than half the race during that last night. Yeah, because um, that was you know you come through Manchester, and then um, you're on the, the Hillsborough Highway, and you go through Hillsborough and Pelham and down to Monteagle, and it's just long, straight, empty highway mm-hmm. in the dark and just utterly mind-numbing. Um, you're running along next to the rumble strip and you're just, it's really hard not to zone out. So I was talking to my wife a lot because it just, I would not have been safe without talking to my wife. Yeah. Um, I would have just wandered out into traffic. Um, but when I got to Mont Eagle, um, I took a five hour energy. I'd saved it for the last night yeah. um, just to make sure that I was safe and alert for going up that long. Cause if this is like a thousand foot climb in three miles up yeah. to the town of Mont Eagle, it's the first, the first of the two big climbs and there's lots of um, narrow uh, switchbacks going up it. So it's, you gotta, you gotta be safe going mm-hmm. up that. Um, so I took my five hour energy and then boom, I was awake. Um, I don't know. What's in it that does that? The caffeine obviously is not going to hit that instantly, but I took it and within minutes I was totally alert um, and back in reality because I was really starting to drift off into, you know, I was telling my wife about all the cool patterns that there were in the rumble strip and all the colors and the artwork and so forth. And um, <laughs> I was going to say that's that's where I hallucinated was going up Mon Eagle. Very. Well, it's interesting because I didn't. Well, I just taken this five hour energy, so I wasn't hallucinating going up Mont Eagle. But going up Mont Eagle was sort of the, uh, you know, emotional, spiritual yeah. crux of yeah. the journey for me this time because it's a massive effort. You're pushing. Um, that's when I had sort of the most uh, insights go through my head. Um, I tried to write a bunch of them down. You know, one was thinking about Laz. You know, Laz. Laz is not a race director. He's um, he's a poet. He's an artist, uh, and races are his medium, and runners are his paints. You know, because he he writes these twelve hour updates, and they're just they're just brilliant. Yeah. And there's all this drama in there, and you know, we're just his raw materials. You know, that that drama he he pulls it out. Um, so that was a thought. Another thought was just the the sheer obviousness of the being there in the moment and doing it. That was the point. It wasn't the records. It wasn't the goals. It wasn't the plans. It was all that led to being here now and doing, and that's what I was doing Mm -hmm. and lots of other, you know, insights along those flavors, things about the nature of reality, you know, how, you know, when you're in a sensory deprivation state at night, you're, you're, I was thinking of minds as sort of like, 
antennas that tune into different realities, right? And if, if there's not enough sensory data coming in, there's not enough sort of reality to lock onto. So your brain is just like trying to find the model that matches best what it's getting. And there's all these other sort of alternate realities out there. You're sort of tuning into is what it feels like um, until, you know, dawn comes along and then, Oh, we got enough sensory data to uh, anyway. Um, yeah. It's interesting to talk of, about the, yeah. the road, the, the, the road as the sensory deprivation tank, Bob. Mm -hmm. Well, the sun comes up yes. and it's like, welcome back to reality. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's really yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. So that was, that was my, um, you know, spiritual, emotional highlight was that that um, hour or 45 minutes or whatever going up Mont Eagle. Um, it was hard after that because uh, it was dark still and I was tired and coming through Mont Eagle and Tracy City, you're it's you're kind of not in a re really in a place where you feel comfortable shouting at the top of your lungs. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of this like resort communities and <laughs> right. people. Yeah, yeah, I don't really want to, you know, attract the cops or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, I was really having a hard time staying awake. Um, you know, I talked to my wife some more, but I didn't. I didn't really want to shout. Eventually, sat down on a bench for a five-minute nap because I thought, you know, at this point, I could see, I could see, I could see the numbers clearly, and I could yeah. see I'm going to get that record probably by a lot. But I don't want to, you know. I want to comfortably get it. I don't want to have to kill myself to get it. Right. And so I don't want to. I don't want to take a half-hour nap because then I might have to work harder to get it. Yeah. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to take a five-minute nap. I sat on a bench and set my watch for five minutes, and that that helped a little bit. And five minutes is not going to cost me a lot. Um, then I'm back out there. But as the night wears on, I'm gradually losing touch with reality. And, and the mental state here was very interesting. I think, you know, one of the goals of meditation sort of in the Buddhist tradition mm -hmm. is to um, lose your sense of individual self and yes. more, you know, identify sort of with the universe or with mm -hmm. a larger world. Yeah. And um, I was doing that. Okay. I, I had the same thing happen last year, although I didn't realize it when I was in Lewisburg. I, I woke up from it, this nap in Lewisburg last year and my crew was treating my feet and trying to tell me something. And I'm like, okay, this, this race thing, um, we have bodies and we, the goal is to move our <laughs> bodies along a trajectory and bodies need food and water. And is that right? You know, and it just, it wasn't clicking for me. And I'm sure I was freaking my crew the hell oh, out. They're yeah. like, um, oh, he's lost it. He's <laughs> right, lost right, it. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it was a little clearer this time because I was sort of in that space and I realized, oh, that's because my brain's notion of self at the moment has broadened and yeah. I'm not identifying so much with this body. Um, I'm identifying with the whole race and everybody along it and everything that's going on and the notion of the critical importance of where I am along this course at a particular time being the defining variable that just seemed a little strange because why should I pick that out? Reality is so much more than that. Right. right. So it got harder and harder for me to keep track of my goals. You know, I, I was looking at my Garmin and it's like, okay, I know sort of, I'm supposed to keep this pace field in this range, but why exactly is that? And what exactly does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know? it's so funny, Bob, because people will spend years uh, focused on meditation and doing all that stuff, trying to find this concept of non-self, right? Yes. And they'll read a yep. million books about it and they'll listen to a million podcasts about it and they're like, I am trying to get to that non-self existence. Yep. You 
find this non-selfness 300 miles into a 314 mile race. Yes. And I think that's essential. Um, you know, when I finished, I'll, I'll, I'll finish the story. But, you know, later the next morning, I was talking to Laz and other people. And they said, oh, you got to write your next race report. And I'm like, yeah, I don't I, I will. But, you know, I don't want to just like write the same thing over. It's like, but of course, it's got to be so different because this year it was screwed and you're alone the whole time. Yeah. And I'm saying thinking, well. I didn't really feel like I was alone right, the whole yeah. time. I felt I I wasn't trapped in this body stranded in the middle of Tennessee. I had a much wider perspective than that. Um, and that, I think, really was a, a critical element of my mental performance here. Do you identify as a Buddhist now, Bob, or is this something you kind of just no, dabble in meditation? I don't, but I've been, I've been reading a lot about it. I do, um, you know, I'd go do attend a Buddhist secular temple sometimes. Yeah. I don't identify as a Buddhist, but I am uh, I find a lot of resonance with that worldview, I would okay. say. So back to the race, you're, you're, you had that, that night, right? That great night. Yes. You're having this, yes. this broad experience now. And yeah. you, you, you take that nap and you move forward. You know the record's yeah. in place. Those last moments, you've had this incredible journey, three days plus, you know, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're starting to realize that journey is coming to an end. Yeah, that that <laughs> that didn't disturb me. I was ready because <laughs> I was ready for, you know, last year, the, the coolest thing happened after the race. That's when I had my enlightenment experience. Yeah. I was ready for that. Right. But um, pushing through from from Tracy City to Jasper was was hard, keeping mm -hmm. my mental focus and not just totally losing my sense of self to the point where I couldn't function. Um, it finally clicked when I was getting close to the 7.30 morning check-in. And I saw, you know, there's this, uh, there's this long descent into Jasper, very steep, yes, yeah. like five miles. And at the top of that descent is the mountain mark. It's this icon on the Ball State course. And I was coming up and I could see this, this thing ahead of me. And it's like, suddenly I clicked in, that's the mountain mark sign. And it's sort of at that point that, you know, dawn was already there, but yeah. I this dawn had not totally snapped me into full wakefulness because yeah. my mind was already too much in this sort of non-self state right. that I had had paradoxically, you know, been seeking that kind of state in this race, and yet it was both a plus and a minus for my performance. Yeah. You know, you have to walk a very fine line there. Um, Anyway, when I saw the mountain march sign, I suddenly snapped in and was like, oh, I'm ready for that descent into Jasper. And it's still not even 730. I'm going to be better off than I, I'm going to get more than the 50 miles that I planned this night. Yeah. And I was just so pumped. And then I started doing the math and I realized that, OK, I'm going to be between three days, four hours, three days, three days, four hours. I'm not going to beat no matter how fast I run in three days, five hours. I'm going to make them even if I walk. Right. Which was um, not really the right way to look at it, as I realized later. But that's how it seemed at the time, um, which is a bad thing. You never want to be in a state where you think your race is a done deal and what you do doesn't matter because it's not done until it's done. Right. Um, so I cranked down the hill into Jasper. Um, a uh, pretty good clip, it seemed like, although I haven't looked at my paces, not as fast as I was last year, I bet. Um, checked in at 295 miles, which I had done, um, I think, 52 miles during the night. And uh, at that point, I was then officially ahead of the prior splits for the course record. Um, came through Jasper, came through Kimball, and went in front of the Super 8 where Laz and Carl were waiting, and they waved at me and took some video. And I'm just like, 
it's a victory lap for me yeah. at this point. I'm just grinning from ear to ear and I'm still, you know, I'm awake enough to be aware back in the world of what I'm doing. And I just got to get to that line and sit in my throne and get my time and, and get my glory, you know, and, um, <laughs> the ego so comes I, back. Yes. Right. So I crossed the blue bridge mile three Oh three. And that's when you call and say, I'm at the blue bridge. And then it's 11 miles to the finish. And I was still pushing and pushing and pushing. And, thing is, I, I was out of water by the time I was on the Blue Bridge, and I just kind of didn't care because it's like, I'm almost done, whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How <laughs> tough all, could it you're be? You're almost right. done no. when you're at the Blue Bridge, no. okay? <laughs> um, I ran this last year. I should know that. So I, I hope you stopped final, at Dollar General. Yeah. I get to the turn up the last big hill, up Sand Mountain, which is like the climb up Mont Eagle, another 1,000 feet and three miles, sort of, and... I'm going up the hill and I'm going up the hill and I'm going up the hill and it's like, oh, this is this is long and hard and tiring. And you know what? I'm kind of thirsty and I'm out of water <laughs> and I'm like starting to eye all the empty bottles you know, tossed by the side of the road and all the um, trucker urine. Essentially, you're yeah. looking at bottles yep. going, I don't Pretty I'm much, not sure that's Mountain Dew. Is that lemonade? The, the color of that. Is that really some special kind of Dr. Pepper or no, that's probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it seemed interminable to get to the top of that hill. And I made the turn, you know, off off of that onto Castle Rock Road. And um, that also seemed interminable. And at that point, I was actually angry at Laz for putting all these hills and like rough road and stuff at the end of the race. That is a rough it's road. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, I'm here without water. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, what if I buy like pass out and fall over? What are you going to do? You know, why would you do? I, I, it was crazy because I mean, it's all totally on me. Right. But right. I was angry. I was angry at Laz at that point, um, which is, you know, I rarely am angry and never am angry for irrational reasons. So I was clearly starting to lose it. Yeah. At that point. Um, but eventually, you know, the end got there and I was able to push through and and um, amazingly came close to three days, four hours, which I would not have predicted even a, a few hours earlier. Yeah. And um, I got there and I touched the rock and I sat in the chair and I said, I need water. And, <laughs> now, and, you know, there wasn't even anything set up there because the later on the race goes, they get this whole setup there with tents and stuff. But there's nothing. There's just Laz and this one chair that I'm sitting in. And he's like, water. Uh, well, I don't think I've got any. But, and then I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I desperately need water. And he found like a half empty bottle that he gave me. And that was, that was enough. But Good Lord. What an incredible performance, Bob. Honestly, to knock out the, the mileage and the time, absolutely incredible. You live in California now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Will your California friends be impressed that you are now officially the king of the road in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. You got to bring over the plaque because I, I believe you get you actually will get the proclamation. Yes. Are you coming back yes, to I, Nashville for that, or are they just going to send it to you? I assume they'll send it to me. I mean, I you know my parents are in Nashville, so I'm there now and then. But, yeah. Um, oh, the other cool thing I can show you. Our viewers are not going to see it. Yeah. The finish the finishers every year. One of the things that you get is um, a patch. That yeah. You can sew onto your jacket or something. And this year's patch, it's an embroidered patch, and it has me on it. (laughs) That's from last year, yeah. That was my finish last year. Laz says, yeah, everybody who finishes gets dead 
Bob, That's there great. I am lying flat on my back on the rock. And, so see, he had and, incentive um, to get first place this year because yes, I gotta, I gotta get my own patch. Right, at the very least. Yeah. Bob, that's incredible. Have you get the great story? Holy shit, what a story! Have you given a thought to what's next, or is it just I'm going to bask in this for the next week or so? Well, I'm signed up for Spartathlon in a couple of months, so okay. that's next. But, you know, the thing about this race is so many things went right. I had all these decisions going into it and during it that seemed sort of, I don't, I really have no clue, but I'll decide this. And it seemed like it was always the right decision. Yeah. And the, the weather mostly broke my way. It's like everything in the universe conspired to make this the perfect performance to be, you know, I broke the screwed record by 10 hours and I broke the crude record by three hours without a crew. And that, that, that doesn't happen. You know, this is, I have to sort of accept the likelihood that this is the greatest race I'll ever run. And it's like, what, what do you, where do you go after a race like this in terms of future goals? If there's always, it's like you finish a race and say, well, next time I can do this right. next time I can do that. Well, I, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, so. well, there's hots. You could do hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one where it's essentially the same type of race, except you don't know the route until and no, the yes. day of the road angels. Yeah. Um, yep. So you're saying, Bob, you may have actually found the thing that people have been chasing for uh, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of road races. You may have actually uncovered the perfect race. Felt that way. Yeah. That's incredible. Because stellar so we, performance. Because there's yeah. a, like any, everybody would look back and go at a race and say, well, I could have done this, I could have done that. An incredible performance, an incredible way to look at it, too, Bob. What, what a story. Thank you so much for sharing this with us uh, on the Adventure Jogger. Um, you you got to come on back. You got to come back again, Bob, because I think you've got a lot more stories to tell than just this one. Thank you. Everybody, VentureJogger.com. Go check it out. All the back episodes get caught up. There's gear as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to TheAdventureJogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Bye, bye, bye.